As you take your seats, let me invite you to open up the Word of God to Galatians chapter 2. James is going to bring us the reading this morning. Thank you, James. Galatians 2, chapter 15, verses... Chapter 2, verses 15 to the end of the chapter. <coughs> we who are Jews by birth and not, and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith. Christ is... Oh. Yes, in Christ. And not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really will be a lawbreaker. For though the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for, it right, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Thank you, James. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. There's an old story that goes that there was once two brothers living many years ago in England when the punishment for stealing was quite severe. These two brothers stole some sheep and so they branded them on their forehead ST for sheep thief. Now, one of the brothers was unable to bear the stigma that now his forehead would give him uh, before everyone he met. And so he fled to a foreign country so that people wouldn't know what that was all about. And there he died full of bitterness and was buried in a forgotten grave. His brother chose not to run away. I can't get away from the fact that I once stole sheep, he said, but I will remain here and make the best of it. I'll change my way of living, do what's right, and try and get back the respect of my neighbours as well as my own self-respect. As the years passed, gradually he did change that reputation. He worked uh, respectably, he earned his integrity, he became known as a man of honesty and of worth. Some years later, a visitor came to that village, unaware of the town and its customs, and they saw this man with the tattoo on his forehead, S.T., and asked one of the villagers about it. After pondering for a little while, the villager said, I can't quite remember the particulars of it. It happened so long ago. But really, I think that it's got something to do with the abbreviation for saint, S.T., Reputation. It can be a good or a dangerous thing. I wonder, what is our reputation as a church? Are we known for the things we've done? 
Or are we known for the things that we don't do? Maybe our reputation is, that's the church that doesn't dance. That's the chance that doesn't tattoo. That's the church that doesn't go to dancing parties or the like. I wonder if that's our reputation. Is that something that we're comfortable owning? Maybe we would prefer to be known by the things that we do do rather than things that we don't. Maybe some would say we want to be known as the church that does tattoo or that does alcohol or that does party or that does dance. And I've gone looking at church websites while I've been away looking for places to worship where some of them have that on their website. You know, if you've got tattoos, if you've got whatever, come to us. We, we accept all of that. Or maybe we just want to be known for a church that does good things in their community, is involved, meets the needs of, of the poor, supports missionaries. Some might say that we'd like to be known by good doctrine, preach, our preaching, regular Bible studies, personal devotional lives. Some of these things might be good to have in your reputation. But I want to ask you this morning, would any of these things be enough? We've been looking at Paul and the Galatian church this morning. But in Galatians, we're going to be introduced to Peter, a man that we are well familiar with. We know him as the apostle who spent three years with Jesus, who went from being a fisherman to, to being the rock that, that Jesus said was going to be the foundation on which he would build his church. He was a man uh, there at Pentecost who, who was able to explain expound the, the Old Testament to, to Jews that they might understand that, that this grace now poured out upon them is the grace that God has always intended for them. A man of sound teaching, a man of good standing. We're introduced to him now here as, as one of the, uh, the authority figures in the church in Jerusalem, one who has been guarded with the principles and the teaching of the church. We will see that he has accepted this grace of, of God, not just for Jews, but also for the Gentiles. God has given him a special revelation that, that this outpouring of the Spirit is also an outpouring that will come upon all the nations of the earth. He's a man respected for his preaching, respected for his beliefs, respected for his faith. But here this morning we'll see that he is a man who is criticised, not for his belief or the message he preaches, but for the double standard of his life. What, it came, what did it come down to? Really, who he was willing to eat with. But not even that, who he was willing to be seen to eat with. I wonder if, your pride, if pride is found in your reputation or if your fear is found in what others might think of you. Maybe your reputation is being destroyed not for the message that you believe, but the message that you bear witness to through your life. What we need to be known by, both to preach and to practice, is grace. How we receive it, how we celebrate it, and how we offer it to others. As we look to Galatians 2, let me ask the blessing of God as we turn to his word together. Lord, we began our service recognising that it is your word that reveals to us that we are sinful. 
It is your word also that reveals to us that we have the opportunity to be saved by grace, to be welcomed by you, to have our identity changed, that we would be sons and daughters of the living God. And so, Lord, we turn now to your word that we might test our lives by it, that we would not be found to, to be those who have, have given away such a, a wonderful gift or crucified Christ once again by our actions. Lord, give us humility of heart that we would be able to hear these words and apply them to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace is what will lead us to seek nothing of the world's values, but everything of the world's peoples. I asked James to uh, pick up halfway through Galatians 2, and some of you might say, ah, oh, but you've skipped over a whole section. Let me address the first half with you now. Last week, we uh, spent some time looking at the physical journey of, of Paul from his conversion, uh, how he was stopped on the road to Damascus, how God changed him in a, in a moment and how he ended up preaching the very gospel in Damascus that he had gone there to try and quash. How he preached so well that, uh, that his opponents uh, soon rose up to, uh, to say, hey, this isn't what we sent you here for. You're now our enemy and they drove him out of the city and as Paul describes, went into Arabia and, and spent time there where uh, he re-examined the scriptures saw that, that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. And this became his, his early teaching as he went back to, to his hometown Tarsus and then later to Antioch, convincing Jews that Jesus really is the Messiah. And more than that, speaking to the Gentiles that this grace that, that has come, not through the law but through faith, is also available to them. We're going to continue that physical journey, but also the journey that he has in expounding this wonderful truth uh, as, he, as he speaks now of going after 14 years up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with him. Uh, it's kind of helpful to see uh, a, a life that is transformed by the company that that life keeps. Paul takes Barnabas, who is... Uh, a Jewish Christian who has been an encourage, encourager of him from the very beginning and has, has stood uh, before the, the church in Jerusalem before in order to, to defend Paul and say, look, he, he was Saul, he, he was the persecutor of the church, now he's a brother of ours. Accept him. Uh, he's, he's changed his ways. Uh, so Paul continues in, in fellowship with Barnabas, but now takes with them Titus. Uh, a Gentile, an uncircumcised Gentile at that, uh, but one that we will see represents all that, that Paul has, has come to, to celebrate in the gospel. He says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Uh, in the previous chapter, he's made clear that this gospel that he's received uh, was not one that came through any man, that it was revealed to him through Christ himself. And that's uh, the claim that he states, uh, establishes his apostleship through. Uh, I haven't spent three years with Jesus through the life of his ministry, but this, these 
last decade and a half that, that I've spent um, since meeting Jesus face to face on the road, he has been the one who has ministered this gospel to me. But sees it important in fellowship with his brothers that he communicates this gospel to them, that, it, that they might see the truth of it too and might celebrate that. Uh, some of these, these verses here, if you want to see them uh, reflected in real time through the book of Acts, you'll, you'll see them sort of in, in between chapters 10 to 15. These movements of, of Paul and Peter and others. Peter at a time had, uh, had gone to the, the house of Cornelius and, uh, and seen the Holy Spirit poured, about, poured out upon him and his household, Gentiles, uh, and then went back to Jerusalem and, and defended those actions. Well, kind of told them what, what wonderful things he'd seen the gospel do in their lives. And so they would uh, affirm the, the work of the Spirit there. Paul here is, is now doing a similar thing. Even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, he says. Uh, so the, the message that I brought, and he's speaking to, to Peter privately, uh, to James, the brother of Jesus, not to be confused with um, James, the, the apostle, the disciple close to Jesus. Uh, he's recently been beheaded by Herod uh, and, and John. Uh, even Titus was not forced to be circumcised. Yet because of the false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He's saying to the Galatians that, that the people that are now with you and saying that you need, it's wonderful that you've come to Christ. Now in order to, to be fully accepted into the family of God, you need the mark of circumcision. He's saying now that, that temptation or, the, or that teaching is, is not new teaching. Back when I was in Jerusalem and I took Titus along with me, we spoke about the gospel that has come also to the Gentiles. And those apostles, those pillars of the church there in Jerusalem said nothing uh, about him needing to be circumcised. They welcomed him as a brother. So while you might challenge me as an apostle uh, and, and declare that James and, and Peter and others uh, have a different gospel to us, know that, that I've spent time with them and, and I've had Titus there, sort of a, a representative Gentile, and they have celebrated him and put no yoke of, of burden upon his shoulders. We've seen it all before, and what I'm about to say before you now, I've said to these people to their faces, we're not going to yield to their yoke of slavery. From those who've seemed influential, what they are makes no difference to me, he says. God shows no partiality. He is honouring their position, but he's saying uh, they before God uh, are just brothers and sisters like we are. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel, with the gospel to the circumcised, uh, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles, and James and Cephas and John, or Peter, who seemed to be pillars, they perceived the grace that was given to me and gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now let's just make clear here, he is not saying that there are two different Gospels. 
that there is one to the Jews and there is one to the Gentiles, and they differ. He's saying the same gospel is being preached both to the Jews and the Gentiles. The calling of Peter and myself are different. Peter has been called to continue to minister to his countrymen, the Jews. I have been called to go to the Gentiles. Our calling is different, but the gospel we preach is the same. Salvation through, through faith alone. We, we'll see that as his argument continues. But don't, don't think at this point that he's saying we, we decided to go two different ways. No, we're, we're talking to two groups of people, but we are sharing the same message. That's why we had the right hand of fellowship extended to us. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing we were eager to do. If you have a look through Acts, you'll see that while Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, uh, there was someone who uh, prophesied, came up from Jerusalem, sort of, or came down from Jerusalem, but it's north, um, uh, and, and said there's going to be a famine come. And so the churches of the area uh, began to to pull their resources and then they prayed and they set aside Paul and Barnabas to go down to Jerusalem and, and distribute what they had given. So kind of this encouragement of the church in Jerusalem for Paul and Barnabas and their Gentile believers to, uh, to continue to meet the, the needs of the poor. And Paul says it's the very thing that we are wanting to do. It's Really, it's the very thing that they are doing. They're in Jerusalem distributing the, uh, the goods that they've amassed to, to the Jewish believers, showing their fellowship with the Jews and, and then receiving from these pillars of the church similar encouragement. We, we want to just commend you with what you're doing. Continue preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Continue serving the needs of the poor. But, he continues in verse 11, When Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hip hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, like a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew... How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? See, we know that Peter's instruction has been right. He already has had that experience where he's gone to Cornelius' house and, and through special revelation has seen that, that he is not to call anything unclean that God has made clean, meaning the Gentiles. And as he preached the, the message to Cornelius and his whole family came to faith and they received the Holy Spirit, he went back to Jerusalem and said, this gospel, it's incredible. It's, they've received Christ just as we have. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we did in Jerusalem. There's something wonderful that, that is happening. So Peter's teaching is sound. But when he's in Antioch, for a time, he's sharing meals with the gentiles now we don't read anything here that it's you know food being offered to idols or, or anything sinister like that you know it might just be that they're having turtle soup and um you know eating reptiles and 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 those things that that peter has been told not to to count as as unclean or it may be as simple as the fact that he's eating with a gentile Maybe all kosher food, but, but around the table there are Jews and Gentiles eating together because that 
is something that Jews would never have, uh, have allowed in their practice. They're not to eat with a Gentile. They're not to speak with a Gentile. They're not to welcome them into their homes. And so Peter, simply by sharing the everyday meals and maybe the fellowship meal, the, the agape love feast, that they, they held regularly in order to remember Christ and his suffering, just those meals, at first he's, he's enjoying them because God has brought Jew and Gentile into fellowship with each other. He's, there is no distinction. But then Jews come from Jerusalem, Judaizers, Paul describes them as, those who want to make people Jews. It says they come from James, though we see no evidence of James ever sort of officially sending them or, or commending them in their actions. They come and they want to bring circumcision to the Jews. They're saying, in a, uh, sorry, to the Gentiles. They're saying in a way, it's wonderful that God accepts you. We've accepted that the gospel accepts you. But in order to be now marked as believers, you need to take on circumcision and maybe take on some of the Jewish festivals uh, and maybe this and this and we'll add something else as time goes on. It may have seemed a simple request. And Paul, uh, Peter's withdrawal from, from the, the meeting tables or the, the, the dinner table when, when these Jews arrived may have seemed like a compassionate gesture. I just don't want to ruffle the, fella, the feathers of, of our guests from Jerusalem, so, so I'll just take a, a stand away from the table. It might have seemed all peaceful, but Paul sees it differently. Peter stood condemned, Paul says, by his actions. He wasn't just pleasing the Jewish visitors. He was condemning the Gentiles. He was saying, the gospel that you have received is not enough. If you really want to become part of God's family, well then you need to start acting like us. You need to take the mark of circumcision. You need to take on the, the, uh, the festivals and the practices. You need to begin to adhere to the, the law code if this faith that you have begun is, is to be confirmed in you. Paul goes on to say, we ourselves are Jews by birth. He's talking about himself and Peter. Not Gentile sinners. Now, sinners there we'll come back to. Yet we know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law... No one will be justified. Put yourself in Paul's shoes for a minute. A man who was raised a Pharisee, a student of the law, who knew the law inside and out, knew its regulations and had spent his whole life conforming his life to fit within those regulations. If anyone was looking to be righteous, it was him. And if anyone was, would be seen by others to be righteous... It was him. And now he celebrates the fact that he has been released from this need to continue to be conforming himself to the law because he has received the gospel that says, you know as well as anyone that by keeping the law, no one will be justified. 
We began our service with Psalm 142. Uh, Verse 2 says that no one is righteous. And anyone who's tried to keep the law understands that. When Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder. Will I say to you, anyone who harbors hate in their heart is a murderer already? That's what the, the law is meant to sort of point us to. That there's a standard of righteousness that no one can meet. The law shows us that we are sinful. And if we try and live our life constantly by standards that ask us to measure up, we'll face disappointment again and again and again. And so Paul celebrates the fact that we, though we know the law, though we had the law, We're not justified by the law. We're justified by faith. Jesus has actually come and made it possible for us to be justified. Now, it's the first time Paul uses this word in the letter. I don't know if it's the first time in the New Testament or not. But justified is a legal term that he employs here. And it's the opposite of being condemned. When you go into court and, and accusations are made against you and the, the evidence piles up and they go, well, it's clear. The evidence is against you. You have committed this crime. You're sinful. You are now condemned to serve the punishment that is about to be meted out to you. Justified is where the sin is declared, where the evidence is stacked up. But rather than being condemned, you're justified. You're declared righteous. You're declared innocent of all charges. And it's not that we are innocent of those things, that, but that Jesus has taken that punishment. He's been condemned for us, so we might be justified. That's what Paul celebrates. And he describes the Gentiles as sinners, really because that's how the Jews always saw them. They were the people who didn't have the law. They were the people who didn't measure up. And so while he was a Jew by birth and not a Gentile sinner, even as a Jew, he celebrates the faith, uh, the, the justification that comes through faith in Christ. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, it's Christ then a servant of sin? Now, I think it's really important what Paul's about to say here for, for believers who wrestle with the fact that oh, I'm, I've committed my life to Christ, but still there is sin. Um, but that's actually not what he's addressing specifically here. He's saying, because I've been released from the, the standards and the expectation of the law, you're now seeing that my actions are sinful because I'm hanging out with the Gentiles. Is that to pull Christ down, to make him a servant of sin? Is that to say that that Jesus died so that I can be free to sin? Absolutely not, he says. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. If I start to add the expectations of the law onto my life as a believer, well then I'm just going to show once again that I am sinful. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That life I am now dead to. That comparison of, of righteousness and sinfulness, that's done away with. The only comparison now is those who bear the righteousness of Christ and those who seek to add to it. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He puts up Paul, uh, Peter in his actions and says, he is a man who stands condemned and compares him with Christ, who by, our, by his actions, Peter was condemning himself all over again. Meaning that, that his death meant nothing. We need to be careful in our behaviour not to add further standards to the grace that we've been given. Careful even more not to let our actions place on the shoulders of others the need to do so. There are tensions in this passage I recognise. It's hard when differences that we face as people are confused with differences that we have in belief. Paul is saying there is differences that we share as people that should not break fellowship. Jews and Gentiles, we're different as people, but we should be able to meet around the same table and celebrate the same grace and forgiveness that we've received. What we can't share in is, is unity with people whose, whose beliefs are different to ours. There were people standing back from the table that Paul would not have welcomed at that time in, the, in their belief, and they were the visitors from Jerusalem. Rather than Peter standing from the table... They needed to be excluded. It's hard that while Paul is speaking of grace that we, we look at and we say, well, that changes how we respond to one another. Paul is so determined in his argument against Peter. Is he really celebrating grace, you might say, when he's not dealing graciously with Peter? What he's identified is that there is a difference here that comes right to the core of the gospel. If we lose it, we lose everything. And so we do at times need to make a stand, to, to make our difference known. But those differences and those stands need to be for the preservation of grace, not the destruction of it. What we are seeking to ensure is that the belief that we accept in our minds is also a belief that we accept in our practice. If God is willing to accept me, who am I willing to accept? If God brings me into fellowship with himself through his son, who am I denying fellowship with who really I should be treating as a brother or sister in Christ? 
We recognize that owning the name of Christ as Christians means we identify ourselves with his death. But it also means we identify ourselves with his life. And how was Jesus known in his life? As one who ate with sinners and tax collectors. He wasn't celebrating their sinful behavior, but he was celebrating the fact that even as sinners, they could be justified through faith. Even as tax collectors, they would be welcome within his band of disciples. Paul says, even as Gentiles, they are welcome around my table. We too need to regard with humility the high position that we've been called to. That we would walk with people. That we would eat with them. That Christ would be fully known through our actions as well as known by us. Then we will not judge each other, nor be fearful of our own reputation. We shall welcome and love as we have been welcomed and brought to the table of the Lord. Let me finish with these words from John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has, believed in the na- because he has not believed in the name of his only Son. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let us be people of the light, drawing people into the light so that whoever believes might not perish, but have the life that we enjoy, real, lasting, and eternal life. Let us pray. Father, we know that we will be known by our works. We surrender our reputation to you. And we take your reputation upon ourselves. Lord, we know that this will mean at times that we will suffer. Lord, we know this will mean at times we will be found in the company of people who are are yet to know you and yet to believe. Lord, we know that this will find us in the company of those like ourselves Though wretched sinners have been called by grace around the table of of fellowship, the table of the Lord. Lord, lead us in this grace, that we would be known by it, that it would be our, our reputation, that it would be our belief, that it would be our action. Lord, allow us in our own hearts to know 
if we are people who are different by our behaviour than by our, uh, our belief. Lord, I thank you that, that Peter was a rock and you did build your church on him. That though he, he failed at times, that he was not cast down. Lord, I pray that each one of us might be able to, to see clearly those things that you are yet reforming in, in us that we might truly represent who you are in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.